You are listening to the audio version of the Courtauld Digital Media blog. My name is David Brown and I am a digitization volunteer. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoy this post. Anthony Frank Kirsting, Canary Wharf and the removal of the fat cat. Written by Jesse Palmer. Posted on the 15th of August 2019. My key interest for the past year has been in the figure of the fat cat. To refer to a businessman or politician as a fat cat, you are indicating that you disapprove of the way they use their wealth and power. None of the images in the Conway Library can give a literal, that is, human, face to the fat cat figure. However, the photos of Anthony Frank Kirsting seem to offer some light on my desire to continue looking at this select group of people through his record of the Canary Wharf commercial estate in the early 1990s. Leafing through the collection of Kirsting's work, one begins to form an image of a photographer who scrutinised his subject matter until no question was left for the imagination. However, there are only four images he took of Canary Wharf, all held in box 4268, folder 3, items 2 to 5. They stand in stark contrast to the rest of the collection, which features a multitude of similar images taken from minutely different angles, recording as much as possible of an object, building or landscape. Kirsting's photographs show us Canary Wharf in the early 1990s standing at the opposing side of the river and take us all the way through to the marble halls of the West Ferry Circus property at the most western side of the site. Now 30 years old, these images are outstanding documents of the architecture of Canary Wharf in the early days of its redevelopment. The images place one Canada Square high up in the London skyline and relay a reality far from the built-up area we know today. The relationship between Kirsting's habit of not including people in his images of buildings and landscapes and the current intensive and pedantic control of the site's media coverage lends itself to a new conversation about the presentation of the financial industry. The photograph catalogued in box 4268, folder 3, item 3, shows one Canada Square stretching starkly into the sky. The building is in the dead centre of the image, with impressive courts and the smaller Cabot Place building at its base. Item number 5 is a view of Canary Wharf taken from the south side of the river. The cluster of buildings create a clean skyline in total contrast to the low-rise docklands punctuated by cranes which once occupied the space. Arguably, there is much to glean from images that document something that only wants us to see its surface. For example, the empty and flawless nuances of each image reiterate the appearance the financial world wishes to portray to its global audience. The single interior photograph in box 4268, folder 3, image 4, shows a vestibule leading into something of an endless tunnel of infinite reflections. The shuttering of the repetitive architecture rejects our attempt to try and identify ourselves with this alien space of wealth. Similarly, the curved exterior of the West Ferry Circus and the tower of domineering One Canada Square, the second tallest building at the time of its completion in 1991, suggest through their scale and uniform appearance that there are no cracks 
in its literal physical structure in which to insert ourselves psychologically. Swiss architectural historian Heinrich Werflin wrote his doctoral dissertation Perligumena zu einer Sussurladige Architektur, Critical Introduction to a Psychology of Architecture, in 1886. In his thesis, he focuses on the concept of the psychology of aesthetics and suggests that there is an empathy that we have with objects which influences their design. His particular focus is on architecture and its proportions which, he argues, are understood by viewers in relation to their own. Humans actively create buildings that correspond to their own physiques. An example he gives is that facades of buildings are the same as human faces. Kirsting's documentation of these buildings within Canary Wharf rings true to such a proposal over a hundred years later. The design exhibits the nature of the clientele who rent these office floors, actively displaying their wealth and desire for privacy. The structures themselves behave not only in alignment with their inhabitants, the city skyline mirroring the company's power and international reach, but also with the inaccessible and largely unknown movements of the financial market, which prefers to be left alone to do its job as the largest grossing industry in the UK. The tone set by these structures is one of distance and exclusivity. Furthermore, the symbolism of these buildings, in particular the success and association that they have with their architects, has become something of a novel and must-have aspect to new developments cropping up across global capitals. One Canada Square's architects, Cesar Pelli and Associates, who also designed the World Financial Centre in New York, only reiterate how these buildings have been made to accommodate and act as a representation of those inhabiting them. My curiosity wishes to revisit how these images might have been created, particularly when restrictions placed by the owners of Canary Wharf, Canary Wharf Group PLC, are so tightly regulated today. Though we are being given access privileges that might not exist again, the images are largely dictated by Kirsting's style. From behind the lens, he has the ability to crop out the rest of the landscape. Perhaps the photograph from the other side of the river suggests that Canary Wharf has become an island, a disconnected metropolis from the rest of the city. Kirsting's reiteration to his audience of this distance between these developments and the rest of the city becomes an increasingly alarming parallel when one inserts the companies into the offices that tower 50 floors into the sky. I feel a far clearer message relayed, however, is the immense power and money these structures represent and the way that they stand as early symbols of the city against the largely unpopulated Docklands of the time. The faceless nature of the fat cat lets us forget the individuals of the financial machine. It is not necessarily the individuals who see the need to remove themselves, but, for example, Canary Wharf Group, PLC, who is the umbrella voice surrounding the property and enforces film and photography permits. With Kirsting's choice to not include people in the images, these photographs only flatten the facade we are presented, and arguably, the face of this industry even more. The flatness compacts and constricts itself even tighter so that it gives as little information as it possibly can. 
The flatness of our knowledge is emanated by these buildings' faces. Its desire to create privacy reflects our image back to ourselves, looking at the light catching on the windows. What else Kirsting saw? We will never know. The fat cat wins again.